Get out the insurance cards, get out the co-pays. The office is open, my friends. Brought to you by DrRoto.com. What is up and welcome into the Pros with Joe's podcast. For those of y'all who have joined us for episodes past, you will notice that it is I, Eric at Fantasy Nav, who is leading us into this podcast, and not our friend John Dansby. Our friend John has gone out today and gotten the big poke, the Fauci ouchie, and he is feeling a little bit under the weather. So y'all are stuck with me. Uh, one thing that you can do to help our guy feel better, find him there on the Twitter machine at Dansby's Fantasy. Give him a follow. Laugh at some of the jokes that he makes, even if they're not funny. It will, in fact, make him feel better and help him recover in time for next week's episode. But while we are here, just us here, we can take a look at the Pros with Joe's Charity League. Again, we are in year two of the Charity League. And now, here in week 15, we are in the playoffs. We have cut our field down from 42 all the way down to eight. So here on this ep- this week's episode of the podcast, we're going to run through not only everything that's happening in the NFL itself, but also in the happenings of the league. And we will actually start right there. Like I mentioned, we narrow our field dramatically. We go down to eight out of a field of 42. And heading into week 14, there were a few spots that were still up for grabs. Where the playoff seeding is determined, each of our six divisions uh, has a leader of that division that will get a playoff by, and the remaining two spots are uh, designated by the highest point scored of the teams that did not get in on divisional record. So that leaves us with six division winners, two wild cards, and eight total teams heading into our postseason. And on the whole, most teams had already determined their fate heading into week 14, but there were a couple of spots of note. Most notably was actually our guest last week, Mr. Jeff Bell. He was in the classic win and in situation and ultimately no style points here, but we did see team Bell reign triumphant over team Calandro. He had about an eight point margin of victory as he won in week 14 by a score of 115 to 107. So Mr. Bell punches his ticket, and that is material because the first wildcard team is actually the highest scoring team in the league who shares a division with Jeff Bell, and that is our guy, G-Men J, J Felicio. He currently leads the entire league with 2,028 points scored, excuse me, but did not have the record to win his division. So that has him now as the first at-large bid and leaving a very narrow pool of teams behind him that can ultimately contend for that second and final wildcard spot. Taking a look at those teams, there were really two in particular that were close enough. Actually, most of the high scorers ended up winning their division outright. So of the field at-large We actually had two teams, Jen Piacenti and our own Dr. Roto, that were duking it out for that last spot, and it came down to the wire. Jen Piacenti actually fell in her matchup to Scott Engel, again, because records were not potentially up for grabs for this division. That did not change her standing, but her score of 112.5 points did as Dr. Roto finished his day victorious and tallying 135 points, leaving him with a margin of about 23 points to get into that final spot as the last at-large team and finalizing our group of eight. So recapping that group, we now have a short list of eight teams that are still alive in the postseason. And for as a reminder out there, the way that we determine our winner is a traditional playoff bracket And the winner of that bracket is going to take home the amount of funds that we have raised throughout the duration of the season. So all eight of these teams have a corresponding charity that they are playing along for. The first seed is actually going to our highest score, 
Mr. Jay Felicio, he is playing for Child's Play Charity. If you want to hear a little bit about what they do there and about why it's meaningful to him, go all the way back to week two of the Pros with Joe's podcast. You'll actually hear it from the man himself, how Child's Play Charity not only impacted his life, but continue to impact the lives of those that are spending an unfortunate amount of time in hospital care and trying to make their days a little bit brighter. Looking at our number two overall seed, we have Mr. Troy King, T. King Mode. He is playing for the March of Dimes. Our three seed, Matt Harmon, is playing for a cause near and dear to his tart, the Therese Paler Endowment for Howard University. Those of you that are not familiar, Therese was a colleague of Matt's at Yahoo and unfortunately passed before his time, but now his colleagues, his friends, his loved ones are working to do some good for Team All Juice and making sure that uh, there is an endowment in his name at Howard University, his alma mater. So certainly check that out. Four seed himself is Dr. Roto. He is playing for the PKD Foundation. Anyone who hasn't heard this story, it is absolutely awe-inspiring. Uh, Doc himself was in need of a kidney uh, due to PKD, due to, to kidney disease, and reached out to his listeners, subscribers, and fans and actually found a living kidney donor by way of fantasy football. Uh, maybe one of the coolest things that fantasy football has ever done. Uh, connected our very own Doc Roto to a donor that quite literally saved his life. And obviously now he owes a, a debt of gratitude to that fan, but also to the PKD Foundation, the work that they do to fight off kidney disease. Taking a look at the five seed, we have Scott Engel. He's playing for Big League Impact. Really cool organization doing a lot of different things to help the broader community by way of their influence through baseball, bringing a lot of different players and uh, different uh, Hall of Famers to participate in a number of causes. Our sixth seed is none other than our guest last week, Jeff Bell. We talked a bit about Nationwide Children's Hospital and the work that they are doing there in the Ohio area. Only need to go back a week to hear Jeff himself talk about that work and why it is meaningful to him. Our seventh seed is Dan Claskins, who is playing for DAV, Disabled American Veterans. Uh, that is a cause that is very near and dear to his heart and one that he dedicates a lot of time to uh, both on and off the fantasy airwaves. So check out DAV.org for the work they're doing. And finally, Michael Florio playing for American Cancer Society. Obviously, cancer is uh, absolutely horrific and feels like it has touched just about everybody's life. And the American Cancer Society is working to mitigate the likelihood of getting cancer and to increase the survival rates of those who are unfortunately diagnosed. So that is our group of eight. Again, a quick recap of the different causes that they're playing for. And as we proceed through each week of the postseason, we will narrow down the field by half until we eventually end up with our champion who will not only take home the glory of knowing that they have survived this field of 42, but they will also secure the, the funds that we have raised for their charity of choice. Taking a look at week 15 and specifically the lead into week 15. In the NFL, the biggest news by far is the rampant COVID outbreak that the NFL is facing. Over the last few days, we have nearly 100 positives across a number of different organizations. Actually, eight of those organizations are in enhanced COVID protocols. And very much so, we have not only player availability in question, but just in general, whether or not games will be able to be played at their scheduled times or in their scheduled week here as we round out the NFL regular season. And the implications for that are great in terms of the fantasy world. Um, it feels every day a different player is potentially getting picked off of a roster due to either close contact or to a positive test themselves. And what I was curious to see is how this played out on the waiver wire. And specifically for the pizza division, uh, uh, rather as a reminder, I uh, hope this isn't particularly inflammatory, only teams that remain in the playoffs are allowed to make waiver moves. I uh, know that this is 
the Twitter topic du jour, but ultimately we want to make sure that only the players that are still alive and vying for position are able to make those transactions. And that is a hill that I am willing to die on. So with that, in the pizza division, we have two available candidates, Team Florio and Team Harmon. Mike Florio actually decided to stand pat and was comfortable with his team as currently constructed, whereas Team Harmon went all in. Heading into the week, he had 630 of his 1,000 fab dollars left over in his coffer, and he spent 601 on them to acquire the services of Rashad Penny. Obviously, we saw Penny absolutely explode against the Texans in week 14. And generally speaking, as long as he's healthy, which unfortunately for him is quite the if, certainly looks to be the most capable and the most explosive of running backs there in Seattle. So certainly can see why Matt Harmon would covet that type of player making his way onto his roster. Forwarding over to the Wings division, we have Crickets. We have two teams here. We have Team Jeff Bell and Team Jay Felicio, neither of which felt like they needed to make any particular moves. I will say that this has been one of the more active divisions or conferences when it comes to waiver activity. So the free agent pool is relatively picked over. But I wouldn't be surprised when we run again here on Friday or heading into next week if we see the remaining teams continue to make some moves or rather start to make some moves here in this conference. But the conference that I want to talk about is the Nachos Conference. We saw a flurry of activity. Team Doc, Team Angle are the two remaining candidates here uh, uh, still available to make waiver moves in this particular conference. And we saw them make five transactions across the two of them. Scott Engel went out and acquired Gerald Everett, potentially as a Seahawk homer. We'll have to have him on and find out for ourselves. Kenneth Gainwell, he added for $27. And Malcolm Brown, he added for $57. So ultimately, not necessarily the biggest names out there of the lot. Malcolm Brown could potentially stand to have an impact this week as seemingly everybody in the Miami running back room has been placed in the COVID protocol or on COVID reserve. And so he could be the only available option there in Miami and therefore the best of a bad situation. Kenneth Gainwell, I think, is somewhat of an interesting pick. Um, it's really hard to get a read on what Nick Sirianni and this Eagles coaching staff is going to do with their running backs, one thing or the only thing that seems to be constant there is they do not like Miles Sanders for some unforeseen reason. And so acquiring shares of a running back that is not named Miles Sanders could pay out down the stretch run. So certainly some interesting trades there. As we scroll down to Dr. Roto and what he was able to do, certainly a bit more um, – miserly in how he decided to spend his fab dollars spent six dollars each on two players acquired justin fields for an even six and he acquired d ernest johnson for six dollars uh right now we see really the culmination of two different things happening there in cleveland they are one of the eight teams that has entered into enhanced protocols and seem to be in the midst of an outright outbreak uh, we saw Jarvis Landry. We saw Baker Mayfield, uh, several other players. I think it was about a half a dozen, dozen players in total ultimately end up on the COVID reserve for Cleveland. And moreover to the running back rooms, we saw Kareem Hunt exit last week's game with injury and is now being considered week to week. So for me, of these five players, I actually think the Dearness Johnson one is probably – the sharpest ad of the lot, not only for not only considering the amount that he went for to, to acquire him for $6, but we've seen Dearness Johnson a have a role in this offense. Uh, even when Nick Chubb is available as is going to be the circumstance for at least one more week, but B we have no idea where this is going to uh, ultimately unfold in terms of this COVID outbreak in Cleveland. So there's a likelihood that not only could Dearness Johnson have a role in this offense, but he could be the lead back, as we saw not that long ago 
on Thursday night, a Thursday night against Denver, where he absolutely exploded and finished the week as a running back one that Doc now has on his team for a mere $6. So, you know, taking a look at not only this time of year, but specifically the circumstances that are arising with COVID in the NFL, I think it's very much so going to be a war of attrition and having as many able and available bodies on your bench as possible is going to be a key strategy for anyone that is wanting to make a long run. And with that, we will welcome in our esteemed guest for tonight's episode, Mr. Jeff Erickson of Rotowire. Jeff, how's it going? Thanks for uh, for taking a little time for us tonight. Doing well, Eric. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. We're uh, we're finally here into the fantasy playoffs. We obviously kicked off the playoffs for the charity league as well. I'm actually trying to think if there is any format where it potentially hasn't started yet. I, I don't think those are out there. Um, but yeah, it's certainly an exciting time of year and, and definitely pumped to have you come and spend a little time with us as we as we wrap things up with the Charity League. Yeah, uh, and uh, fell a little short of the playoffs, unfortunately, uh, but it's all right. Uh, we had a good run, Jim and I had a good run, and you know, it's just, it was whack-a-mole this year. One thing would get, it would pop up, an injury or an illness would pop up, we'd address that and have to do the next one there and just kept on going through that constantly it seemed like and just fell a little short because of that yeah and the the format itself is uh is a bit tricky to to navigate that just given that you're essentially in a a 14 team league uh with relatively deep benches and obviously a ton of industry experts so uh definitely a pretty sharp league but i guess we'll uh we'll talk a little bit more about your team and its fortunes as we carry on here um to to kick us off i would actually uh, love if you can tell the audience a bit about the cause that you're supporting and why that group is important to you. Yeah, it's the Cerebral Aneurysm Foundation, and it's because my mom, when I was a kid, suffered a cerebral aneur- ruptured cerebral aneurysm when I was seven years old. Uh, that, that's a for those that are unfamiliar with it, it it's not totally common, you know. So, uh, but it you know it was a, sw- a blood vessel and the in the in the in the brain swelled swelled up and ruptured and. Uh, Usually it's a 50% uh, mortality rate from that. And she survived that. And it was a lot of serendipity there. We were supposed to be on a ski trip up in uh, in Northern Michigan. Instead, we got snowed in. And I lived in Indianapolis, Indiana at the time. Uh, we got snowed in for the weekend. A big blizzard hit. They But they plowed our streets maybe an hour and a half before it happened. Uh, Indianapolis has uh, a Methodist Hospital, one of the best neurosurgery units in the country, in part because of the Indy 500 and all that, uh, that they always had a great neurosurgery unit there. So we had great doctors that took care of her right away. And she was able, she able to recover from that. She spent maybe three months in the hospital, was, you know, had multiple surgeries, had to learn how to walk again, had to learn how to talk again, uh, did a lot of things. And she's still alive to this day. And she's just quite a fighter, but she had a lot of help along the way. And I, I hope other people can have that help in the future if they go through something like that. Pretty traumatic thing uh, in our life, but uh, you wouldn't be able to tell just by talking with her that anything that the long lasting ramifications of it. But uh, no, so it, it, it's something that means a lot to me. Yeah, certainly. And, and obviously um, I've heard, I've heard you share this story before. And the very first time that I heard it, I, I thought that this was going to be a cause that you were taking up. In memoriam, I was I was a bit surprised to hear that um, that she 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 made it through. She's part of that fifty percent, and and the work that they're doing over there at the Brain Aneurysm Foundation is right. very much so helping to expand those odds, so that if it happens to you or someone that you love, uh, their likelihood of being able to not only survive but uh, live a long and fruitful life, uh, as as Jeff Mom has, uh, are greatly increased. So very much so, an awesome cause, and definitely love hearing you share your story um, for the people that either were unaware or that uh, were uh, not tracking the league or following the league last year. Jeff, you are one of our uh, original pros and you are in your second year here in pros with Joe. So I'm, I'm curious to know uh, whether it's this year or last, do you have any kind of funny stories um, uh, from, you know, working alongside your co-manager or, any memories that stick out about your experience in the league so far? Well, it's fun. This year we were playing, you know, all flex. So I like that, actually. It was, it was fun to do that. And it was interesting to see how running backs did get pushed down in this draft. 
a little bit there. Like notably Miles Sanders, except I still was the sucker that took him anyhow later on in the draft. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's you know, it, it was a little bit different. One thing is my my uh, Jim, my uh, co-manager, he uh, he keeps weird hours. He keeps late hours. He's you know, he's an internist. Uh, he uh, so like. I, I never know when he's up when and never when he's asleep, but I know that I can text him at like 11 o'clock Pacific and Hey, he might be up and working still and all that. So uh, it, it kind of worked out pretty well there, but uh, you know, a lot of things uh, about this league were fun um, and it's just staying on top of things. And like I said, I said before is whack-a-mole. Like we had Kamara, we, and you know, of course he misses a bunch of games. We had, you know, McLaurin's now out this week, and he's had he's been banged up other times. We lost Thielen just at the wrong time. We lost Sanders just at the wrong time. Uh, it's kind of all throughout the, there. You know, it's amazing we even made it to 500 with everything that went wrong. But uh, you know, we just kept scrambling, and it was fun. Yeah, and, and tracking along with your team from from my side, it it seemed like it was it was just a calamity of errors, and and no no unforced errors, just seemingly every time. You were about to get someone back. Someone else got hit with the whammy and ended up injuring themselves or on the COVID right. list. So, um, you know, certainly these these things have a tendency in a way of happening. Uh, one thing I want to maybe double back to is something you mentioned a moment ago. Uh, a thing that we changed heading into year two is uh, is we, we took this all flex approach. Um, so apart from quarterback and defense, the entire roster for pros with Joe's two is all flex spots. So, um, wanted to know from you, Jeff, is, is this your first time playing with that sort of wrinkle and, and how did that maybe inform your strategy overall? Um, it's the first all flex I've played with like multi flex before, but first all flex and I liked it. I, I like it. I think it opens up the door to some strategies. Uh, and you know, you try to see, you know, what you're going to focus on, what are you going to try to promote? Uh, what, what are you going to emphasize that, you know, I play in Scott Fishbowl and he obviously does things a little bit differently than most. And, you know, he has like weighted scoring in favor of tight ends. He has multiple flexes. So it's similar, but he, here just, you, you don't want to have running backs. Okay, fine. Just, <coughs> excuse me. I just do, okay. you know, do go, go crazy folks. And so you saw that in some of the draft strategies there, you saw some teams not take a, a running back until like round five or six and Hey, viva the difference. It was pretty cool to see. Yeah, actually, uh, draft a running back all the way through. So definitely gave uh, managers uh, a bit more agency over how they wanted to construct their roster. And it was, it was fun to watch play out, right? I had a front yeah. row seat to all three of our drafts and uh, see exactly what everyone will do when they aren't, you know, restricted by the confines of a roster. Yeah. I'd like to play that format again, for sure. Yeah. I, I think we're planning on carrying it forward. So good. Uh, I'll just assumptively uh, lump you into the yeses for pros with shows three and yeah, you'll have sure. your shot in 2022. Yeah. Looking forward to it. <laughs> So I guess maybe uh, zooming out a little bit to kind of the the broader state of the league, uh, COVID is obviously running rampant through the NFL. I think it's about 100 positives uh, over the last handful of days. Uh, eight teams are currently in enhanced safety protocols. And obviously, uh, first and foremost, we hope that everyone is able to get through it without um, you know severe illness or any sort of downstream ramifications. But Putting that real-world stuff aside, certainly couldn't come at a worse time in terms of uh, the fantasy implications. So you know, maybe could you walk everyone through how you navigate this uh, this very bumpy reality heading into the fantasy playoffs? I'm still trying to figure it out, Eric. That's the thing. I mean, it, it's <laughs> so it, so many news items popping up. Uh, you know, I'll, I think it's going to be one of those where every day you're going to – it's almost like running a fantasy baseball team. And, you know, usually we have a little rhythm to our, our week. You know, you do your waivers one day, then you think you stew on your lineups. Here you're, like, reacting to the news constantly, left and right. And it, just because it happens to be, you know, you, usually, like, there, there's a rhythm on the, you know, the injury news that leaks out. Sometimes you get something surprising that happens on a Friday. But usually by Friday we know what's going to happen for the week. This week 
I wouldn't be surprised if we hear big news on Saturday, big news on Sunday morning. Uh, the way this is going around right now uh, with the infection rate so high, you got to think that there's going to be every day we're going to get someone significant. Baker Mayfield today, for instance. You know, Who is it going to be tomorrow? It's going to be some other starting quarterback. You know, I, I would make sure that if you're going into your fantasy playoffs, you want to have like backups at every position. Fortunately, you'll have fewer people to compete with on the waiver wire. That helps, but also inventory might be a little low too. Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, you know, to to a certain extent, uh, this was somewhat predicted, right? There was a lot of conversation and dialogue around the impetus on on depth in this year and last year more than any. And now I went into the year hoping to avoid as many consolidation trades as I typically do. And now the leagues where I'm actually best suited are the ones where I actually didn't have those trades go through, not by any uh, uh, strategy or wisdom, which is merely the ones where those trades didn't get accepted. And now I have a few more, few more bench pieces. So uh, definitely right. feels like depth is the key. Definitely like the, the tie into uh, the fantasy baseball plug where you're literally working the wire and churning your roster daily. Cause I think that's going to be part of the reality here for us for at least the next couple of weeks. Um, I, I guess, you know, maybe looking at the state of the game, um, you know, we're, we're obviously right in it uh, here in this moment, but are there any maybe format or, or rule changes that you would think would be worthy of consideration in light of uh, what we're, what we're working through here these last few days? Well, we play. I play in the NFFC, and you know they shut down free agents uh, for the play, their playoffs. Now they have deeper benches, twenty man rosters. But you know the way things are going right now, I, I might allow for a little bit more flexibility. Uh, I, I think I would probably suggest that you know if you have an a, a, a urgent need created by COVID, that maybe you're allowed something like that. But you know the counterpoint is you should be prepared at every position. I guess one thing is you know in that sort of format. Have, make sure you have two or three quarterbacks. Make sure you have two defenses. Make sure, you know, th- things of that nature there to try to make sure you have some depth. That's not really a rule change. It's more just a, you know, planning ahead sort of tip, I guess, if you will. You know, most other leagues and in, in traditional managed formats were able to pick up guys still and still adjust for that. So shouldn't be a problem otherwise. I, I don't think you really need a rule change for that. Yeah, I guess – Part of what was coming to mind was how uh, Scott Fish, he mentioned the Scott Fish Bowl a moment ago, how he handled uh, the first round of the playoffs last week having waivers um, where any player who was on by, I believe, got their season average contributed to your score. Um, so I'm, I'm maybe, you know, trying to draw from that and think of an instance where, you know, a fantasy manager might not be able to field a roster, right? And how how we navigate those waters. But um, like you said, the fact that it is taking place here in the first week of the playoffs uh, does limit how many uh, how many managers are in the market. So I think we'll be able right. to have everyone get through here uh, in, in the weeks to come. Moving over to uh, another uh, mark of player availability, this time not to do with, with COVID, though. We saw DeAndre Hopkins uh, be ruled out for the remainder of the season due to injury. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on how this impacts the the passing game in in Arizona and maybe who's the player to go target out of those remaining three. Zach Ertz, really, but uh, I think he's the guy that benefits the most. But, you know, he's taken. So unless you're in some sort of, you know, in, in a, a wider format or a DFS format there, uh, I think that it's probably A.J. Green. That's it's going to get a lot more targets because of this here. I think we saw that a little bit when Hopkins was out earlier. Uh, you know, Green had some games where he was, you know, he's credible. He actually had a pretty nice play on Monday night, but the problem is the consistency. We also saw him make an incomprehensible play against the uh, Packers to finish that game uh, on the Thursday night game too. So I don't know what to expect. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be. You can't just replace him. It just doesn't. It's, you don't just. It's not just next man up. It's, there's a qualitative difference. Christian Kirk will probably be the lead receiver. AJ Green will probably be number two. Rondell Moore, I keep trying to make that happen, and I don't know. It, it, it seems like it's just not happening that much. Uh, even when Hopkins was out earlier, Moore, Moore's production was kind of low, and it's almost like he actually benefits from the, the spaces created by other receivers. It seemed like it, and I, I definitely like the the A.J. Green shout, right? We saw him 
with 10 targets, seven for 102, just the last time out, uh, even with Hopkins on the field. But to your, mm-hmm. to your point, uh, it does seem like he's a little discombobulated out there sometimes, right? He had the wide open touchdown early in the game where he uh, ran the wrong route. Uh, he had a deep catch later in the game where it seemed like he had at least enough momentum to uh, to fight for the goal line, and instead he just kind of fell over. Um, yeah. So you know it's it's hard to it's hard to project him with a ton of confidence. Um, you know, just given that with the limited opportunity he's seen, he's been kind of uh, hot and cold. Yeah, he has. He sure has. So. Yeah, I, uh, it's hard to recommend really anybody uh, that, that's going to step up. And you got to think that maybe they'll just run the ball more, except James Conner is also banged up. We don't know if he's going to be able to go this week. Now, luckily, they face Detroit, but they're, they're definitely down a few weapons, and they'll be tougher games down the pipeline here, too. Yeah, yeah, we, we definitely need to watch for the availability of Conner, uh, whether or not Edmonds gets activated off of the IR. And it sounds like Murray came out of that game a little nicked up. Um, and at least in, in my book, I'd love your opinion. It seems like we've got a pretty good sample where Kyler Murray's rushing attempts generally go in the tank anytime that he's not fully healthy. So I don't know if we can expect him to do, do more with his feet to, to fill that yeah. void. Well, he, he looked good on Monday night in terms of the running. That was one thing I was encouraged by. And now, you know, that, that's the, the version we've seen before, the one that can go off. You know, this is two weeks in a row. Since he's come back, he's actually been a lot better as, as a runner. Seven for 61 last week against the Rams. Against the Bears, he had the two rushing touchdowns. Like, okay, this is what we paid for when we got him. Not the guy that was kind of a game manager for a while, not really running a whole lot there. I know they made a point of emphasis saying that they didn't want him running as much. He didn't want him to get banged up as frequently. Uh, so I, I get it. But it looks like now he's starting to uh, run a little bit more often. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sticking with the mobile quarterbacks, we'll head all the way east to Philadelphia, where today reports out of uh, the Eagles camp are that Jalen Hurts and Gardner Minshew were splitting reps with the first team. Um, So obviously we saw Minshew perform quite well in uh, Hurts' absence uh, two weeks ago before the bye. Uh, Do you think we maybe have a bit of a, of a QB controversy brewing here in, in Philadelphia, or how do you see this quarterback situation playing out as we wrap up the last uh, handful so of games this season? I don't think it's a QB controversy, just given Nick Sirianni's comments earlier saying, hey, when he's healthy, if he's fully healthy, the job is his. Now, it might just be that they might fudge the fully healthy part there too. Uh, and this <laughs> is the way they avoid controversy, saying, well, we just want to make sure. We just want to make sure that they're splitting reps is limited. What do you want us to do? Yeah, I mean, like, hey, we just want to really make sure. But, I mean, you, you, if you make the change, then it really kind of skews things up for the future there a little bit. But at the same time, they have a chance of making the playoffs still. I get it. I understand why they're doing that. Um, and Minshew looked good. Now, it was against the Jets. Let's, let's kind of pump our brakes just a little bit, let them look good against a real defense. That might be nice, but uh, we'll see. I mean, the football team qualifies as such, I guess. Although it's kind of funny. You look at their opposing rank versus quarterbacks. It's 32nd. It's the worst in football. But they haven't looked at lately. Not since them coming back from their bye week. Uh, they, they haven't been the pushover defense there. I know even like Dak last week didn't look good against them, even without Chase Young there. Yeah, Chase Young, Montez Sweat. I mean, they, they are missing uh, of late a lot of the big names on that defense. And they've they really managed to, to clamp things down. So we'll certainly get a test uh, out of – whomever is the quarterback in Philadelphia this week. But I, I tend to agree if, if they decide to uh, make the decision for Minshew over a fully healthy Hertz, um, I, I think that that really muddies the waters in terms of the go forward plan with him there in Philadelphia. Um, and with that, we will head into the actual game schedule here for week 15. We've got an absolutely stellar matchup on Thursday night. It's, it's a little weird. Uh, to not just see repeats of the Jags and the Titans every Thursday. Uh, this Thursday, we have <laughs> the Chargers and the Chiefs. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, two of the more prolific teams in, in the NFL, at least here in this season, um, you know, very much so a lot of playoff implications riding on this game. Any uh, storylines or, or matchups that you're watching for with, with this one, Jeff? Yeah, there's a lot. Well, first of all, uh, I wish it weren't Thursday night just because it's such an important game. 
that said, last Thursday was actually pretty entertaining, Pittsburgh and Minnesota. I'm hoping it lives up to that, you know, kind of follows that a little bit there, there where there's a lot of uh, scoring, a lot of movement there. Uh, but obviously, we we're watching Eckler. We're going to see uh, his game, his what he does in game time warmups there because he's kind of a game time decision, as is Derwin James, which is a big one there for the Chargers. Uh, I think, and Asante Samuel for that matter. If all three of those are out, that really swings it in favor of the Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs are going to be without Chris Jones. The Chargers are going to be without Rashawn Slater. So great pass rusher versus pa- great pass blocker cancel each other out, I suppose. I think that still might advantage might go over to the Chiefs because the Chargers have a hard, had a hard time protecting Justin Herbert. Herbert's awesome when he gets time. When he gets time is the key, though. Yeah, very very much so. And and with that, it's actually uh, the name that, that jumps off the page for me in terms of the, the matchup in the trenches is to do with a player that uh, both of these teams transacted around. We saw Melvin Ingram join the Chiefs here about a month yep. or so ago. That was really the point by which their defense was able to to really start to to tighten things up. I think it had a lot to do with uh, Jones moving back to the interior, right? So if that was a part of their defensive makeup that was working and now he is going to be absent, I'm curious to see how this this plays out. But ultimately, I do expect Ingram to stay pretty busy trying to get after Herbert tomorrow night. I agree. Uh, Ingram's going to have to step up. Willie Gay is also out, and so that means more snaps for Ingram too. So – uh, something to watch for. Uh, will the Chiefs get Sneed back? I don't think so. Actually, he has actually been ruled out for this game. He, you know, uh, during thanks to the you know due to the passing of his brother, so it's a personal issue there, and so he's mm-hmm. dealing with all the ramifications of that. So that's two games in a row for him out. But uh, so both sides are going to be a little a little shorthanded in this game, and some big missing, miss, uh, some big absences, I should say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You uh, you alluded to this uh, a moment ago, but obviously the availability of Austin Eckler is is going to be you know probably the headline heading into tomorrow. Um, you know, let, let's say we find ourselves in a situation where he is unable to play. Um, his backup running back uh, and and who is going to kind of step up in his stead is a bit of a murky situation. Do you have a read on uh, you know which of those two backup RBs is? the more likely to see the majority of, of that workload if, if Eckler is unavailable? I'd say neither. I think it'll be a pure pure timeshare. Justin Jackson, Joshua Kelly, the, you know, Roundtree will even be active, and who knows, they might work him into the mix a little bit there. Uh, I like you know, I, I like Jackson, but he has, A, he has a hard time staying healthy, and B, he doesn't have breakaway speed, and I think that hurts him a little bit sometimes. He gets hurt, you know, he gets hurt, like, a- after, you know, you know, on a fairly regular basis, so I wonder how much of a workload he can handle. Uh, I'm partial to him. I want to. You know, I want him to do well because he's a Northwestern guy. But uh, at the same time, I think he's limited his upside. I, I wouldn't be too excited to start either of them this week because I think it will split that those carries fairly evenly. Yeah, I've I've got plenty of Eckler out there, um, and I'm completely at a loss as to who to handcuff. I've I've literally just split the difference uh, mm-hmm. across those two players and hope that. It's uh, at least enough work for each of them to help me tread water should we get to that point. Um, Going back to the Kansas City side, we mentioned a little bit earlier about the turnaround that this defense has made uh, here of late. Also in the offense, uh, they've certainly been able to score at relatively prolific rates, but it's not quite the uh, big chunk play offense of uh, Kansas City years in recent memory. So what are your thoughts on this kind of ground game and short passing approach? Do you think that this is here to stay for the KC offense, or do you think they're just kind of setting us up for the okie doke and they'll be, you know, making those those deep plays here before we know it? Well, I think they'd love to be able to make those deep plays. I just don't think they're being given to them. I mean, it's creeping Fangioism. Everybody's trying to do the same thing here. We're playing the two deep safeties, uh, and it's working. You know, it's forcing yeah. these quarterbacks to be a little bit more patient. You know. Sure, Brady and Rodgers, they're good at picking guys apart and finding those little pockets and seams and being able to diagnose blitz packages better. Um, it seems to have affected Mahomes. It certainly hurt Kelsey, and it's hurt Tyreek Hill, too. Uh, you know, They can't week in and week out pick apart teams as, as readily as they have in the past uh, to the point where I don't have Kelsey ranked number one among tight ends anymore, uh, at least on a weekly basis. I, I do weekly rankings. Uh, and I've got Kelsey at four this week among tight ends. I have him behind Andrews. I have him behind Gronk. Uh, and I have him behind Kittle, too. Yeah, I mean, certainly hard to have 
almost anybody ahead of Kittle at this point. Um, right. And, you know, it, at least for me, you know, shifting back to, to Kansas City, I, I think that this probably remains the case for as long as defenses continue to give them that too high shell, right? Once once they've established enough of this short game to where the defenses adjust, I expect that'll be the point where they, they snap back. But, um, you know, good on them a, a month and a half ago or so. You know, people really thought this KC team was in turmoil and they've managed to make the necessary adjustments and yep, have, have themselves back atop that division. Who do you got going forward, Pats or Chiefs? Oh, man. I mean, if if this Chiefs defense continues to play this way, it's got to be the Chiefs, right? I mean, they, they can very much so shut down any opponent that they're they're coming up against. I think they're averaging or they've held their last six opponents to less than 20 points. And they're averaging somewhere around 12 points over that same stretch. Um, so right. if they're able to to clamp down like that and either, you know, uh, bit by bit accumulate drives and, and still convert for touchdowns or gash you when that limited opportunity presents itself, I, right. I think it still has to be KC. Yeah, I think it's close. I think it's going to be pretty close. I mean, the Pats yeah. defense is on such a roll too. Uh, I mean, they have a – you realize they are plus 150 right now in points differential um you know it's you wouldn't think that but because you don't you don't think of the pats in this high scoring team but then again they bludgeoned the jets twice that helps as far as building that differential goes and they're just shutting people down i mean the atlanta game helped that differential too they've only allowed 200 points all season long um it just it's amazing to see this happen but uh you know don't want to face new england in in new, in new england in january either if you're the chiefs yeah, yeah, Patriots are certainly farther along in this rebuild than I think anybody expected, uh, you know, yeah. heading into the season. And, you know, that that point differential, That yes, there are a number of blowouts in there. I, I think they uh, they took the Browns to the woodshed, maybe another yes, team did. that I'm missing. Um, yeah, right. But ultimately, you know, by, by hook or by crook, you know, if, if they're blowing a bunch of teams out, I don't think that should be held against them. Right? Yeah, you're supposed uh, to do that. Other teams aren't doing the same thing, so you know. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, what's what's old is new uh, is new again. We've got uh, Bill Belichick and the Patriots geared up for a deep playoff run where nobody wants to go through Foxborough. Yeah. Um, Pat's Colts with, on Sunday Saturday night's going to be awesome. By the way, I think that's going to be another good game. Yeah, it, it it really is. This this Colts team. Um, they're another team that's up there in differential. I think they're sixth, maybe. Um, yeah. And they're, you know, they're they're right on the fringe of the playoffs. So, you know, certainly an opportunity to make a statement for them. And you know, for for whatever reason, those that are still hanging on to uh, doubting these Patriots, uh, I, I think that you know, uh, if they pull out a win over the Colts, definitely adds a, a pretty considerable uh, W to their resume as well. Oh, for sure. Uh, the funny thing about the Colts is they haven't protected their own house. They're three and four at home. Uh, I remember they lost to Seattle early in the season. They lost to the Rams. Uh, they've, they've had some tough losses. Uh, and, you know, then blowouts. They lost to the Titans twice, including once at home, obviously. That, that adds up after a while. Yeah, it certainly does. It felt like um, the, the Colts were the AFC version of the Vikings there for a while, where mm -hmm. seemingly every game was – you know, plus or minus two and a half points in either direction right. um, is is where where it determined. But they've they've definitely been playing better of late, and, and can certainly make some noise uh, if and when they end up in the in the postseason. And with all all of this postseason chatter, obviously we are rounding out the fantasy football season. So wanted to kind of get your point of view and see if you have. Uh, <clears throat> particular approach that you take to the off season when it's upon us, you know, uh, anything that you like to do uh, as kind of a yearly closing of the books or, you know, when, uh, when and how does your prep and research start for the year to come? Well, because I uh, do analysis for multiple sports, I'm probably not as dedicated as some guys in the industry and guys and gals in the industry early on, you know, I'll take, I'll definitely take a couple months off. You know, start getting around the draft. I start ramping up a little bit again, but I, I just kind of let it percolate for a while, for a couple of months. Uh, you know, I do, I do after the immediately after the season's over, I definitely review all of my teams, what went right, what went wrong. Is there a, and the, 
you know, if I had a tough year, is there a consistent thread? Is there something I did wrong? Was it player analysis, player evaluation? Was it draft uh, structure? Was there, is there a common mistake I'm making? So I, I, I try to do that. Um, and also what went right, of course, too. But we, I feel like we learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes. Yeah. And at least for me, you know, certainly easier to, to identify, um, haven't done a full postmortem on the year that was for myself quite yet, but, uh, leaders in the clubhouse, I was wrong for, uh, planting my flag, uh, on the Ayuk bandwagon over Debo. Uh, basically (laughs) you could say that for almost any player over Debo at this point. Um, and I, I very much so, uh, anticipated that we would see more out of both Fields and Lance by this point in the season, right? A big part of my strategy was getting kind of a bridge quarterback for her four or five weeks in hopes that we would have these dynamic options available for the stretch run, and uh, clearly that didn't come to pass. Although Fields has been picking it up here over the last game or so. Yeah, I mean, Fields looked, has looked better in the last month when he's played. Obviously, he missed a couple of games because of those rib, that rib injury. But I remember the Steelers game, the Niners game. Those are two games where he showed something. He flashed something. I, I'm, I'm shocked that Lance has played as little as he has. Um, I mean, I, I didn't have a whole lot of them on my watch. I thought his price was too high, just considering they had a credible guy in front of them. Uh, and the Niners were expected to win this year. I think that kind of drew, drew some away from it. But. They traded up, you know, and the way the NFL works these days with the rookie quarterback contract and all that, you need yeah. guys to play. Uh, I expected, even if he wasn't starting, to, that they'd at least, you know, use him in a Taysom Hill-like role, you know, where he'd be out there and he'd get more. Get, and he, they did that the first couple of weeks of the season. They've completely gone away from that now, and I, I haven't seen a whole lot why either. And that's the thing that's kind of worrisome there. If you're the Niners, you know, sp- spending all that draft capital to get them and that, not use them at all, it's just baffling to me. Yeah, it, it is a bit of a head scratcher, uh, and the thing that you know comes to mind for me is is exactly what you mentioned, right? That that rookie quarterback contract is is the cheat code in today's NFL, right? So to mm-hmm. burn any time uh, while he's on that contract seems a bit counterintuitive. The only thing that I can really you know maybe make some some sense out of is right there at the at the beginning of the season. I think it was week four or five. Garoppolo was injured, um, so we right. had consecutive weeks where he was getting kind of those goal line packages and those gadget packages, and then Garoppolo missed the game, and Lance came in and didn't play particularly well. Um, you know, showed his big arm a couple of times, obviously did some stuff with his legs. But really from that point forward, it seemed like that was the look that this this front office needed at Trey Lance to say, okay, we'll, we'll see you next year or maybe the year after. Because it's just been, you know, absolute crickets from then on out. Yeah, it sure has. And, you know, maybe it's just, you know, you know, I guess if you're, you, you make the, like Josh Rosen, you make that decision, okay, we screwed up, we'll move on. I get it. Uh, but I don't think that's it. I mean, I didn't think, and honestly, I know that game against Arizona wasn't great, but he was this close to being okay. Remember, they came short on like four fourth downs in that game. It, it was kind of close uh, to being a much different game. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think you, you can't simulate the speed of the NFL in practices. You have to experience it in yeah. games. You have to, that's how you develop. Uh, but I, I, I get it. Sometimes yeah, Mahomes saw one game his rookie year. Carson Palmer saw nothing his rookie year. There, you know, we, we've seen other instances there where guys have developed, but rarely does that, that is that the case in today's NFL. Uh, speaking of mistakes though, where he screwed up in rookie quarterbacks, I I'm overweight in Trevor Lawrence. I have a lot of Trevor Lawrence mm. and yeah, I, I expected some struggles. It's a bad roster. I didn't expect this. Um, it's, it's been aside from the London game. I haven't seen too much. That's been encouraging this year. Yeah, we've um, we've talked about this. I don't know if it was on air or just getting to know each other um, uh, before previous shows, but I am unfortunately, a Texans fan. Um, and in that first game yeah. against the Texans, um, you know, while they, they ultimately ended up losing, there were a handful of sequences and series where he looked like he had uh, something, something in him that would yeah. justify that first overall pick. Um, but from, you know, really that point forward, it's, it's been pretty bleak for, for Trevor Lawrence. I obviously don't think the story is written on him, but, 
I, I definitely expected more out of him, you know, just given the the pedigree that he he carried into the league. Right. There's been there were yeah that that week one there were a couple of wild plays, but there were also some like oh you made that throw type of plays also. Yeah. And you chalk that up to being rookie getting used to the NFL speed First game. But yeah. You would have expected some in the development since then, but I mean it's been obviously we've spent a lot of focus nationally this week on the dumpster fire that is Jacksonville and all that and Urban Meyer. So that might explain it. I mean, how much do you, uh, let me ask you, how much do you allocate blame towards Urban Meyer and you know, how much of the lack of personnel and how much towards Lawrence towards his lack of development? I mean, I think for a, a, a young player coming in, the, the onus and the impetus is on that coaching staff to mm-hmm. get them ready for the NFL level. And really the entirety of this staff themselves don't appear to be ready for the NFL level, right? So, um, you know, it's it's obviously a combination of the two. But I, I think, you know, maybe not even a competent or good uh, coaching staff, but simply one that that had some experience at the NFL level themselves would would have yielded a bit of a different story for for Trevor in, in year one. So I'd probably say about a about a 70 30 split for yeah. uh, for the Meyer staff being being the reason why we're we're uh, we're sorely disappointed in Lawrence year one. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, there's been odd things. Actually, you know what? The Cincinnati game, I was encouraged by his play, too, that Thursday night game, uh, which led into don't go home with the team oh, yeah. for the coach. But you remember, he Lawrence actually played all right. That was the game they lost Chark, too. Uh, LaVisca Chenault had his best game of the year, and he was never seen from again. Uh, but, you know, it, which was pains all the LaVisca truthers out there. I, I yeah. wasn't quite on board with that, but I was starting to try to – I was trying to talk myself into it, and then – Nothing after that. But now all of the holdouts for Laquan Treadwell can rejoice. <laughs> I guess, right? Yeah. Who knew I mean, that in week 15 we'd be talking about Laquan Treadwell? Yeah. Only, what, six years later than we should be? Right. Um, but such is the calamity of, of these Jacksonville Jaguars in 2021. You mentioned – a moment ago, uh, player evaluation, and as we transition into some of our listener questions, uh, we've got Mike chiming in. He's got a two-part question. One is relatively straightforward. The second is going to call for your player evaluation skills. So we'll start there. He's in a PPR league. He needs a wide receiver, a running back, and a flex. Out of Michael Pittman, Chase Claypool, K.J. Osborne, Ezekiel Elliott, Antonio Gibson, James Conner, Sony Michelle, and Rashad Penny. So obviously, very long list there. Uh, feel free to have me repeat them at any point, um, or I can I've got I've got your list in front of me here. So um, I'll say this: uh, a lot of this is TBD. I mean, we don't know what uh, Connor's status is going this week. We don't know what Henderson's status is going this week, and obviously how that affects Sony Michelle. If Henderson's out, I'm starting Michelle uh, at the running back spot. Probably, well, I'm probably going Gibson over him, but I'm starting Michelle in, in the flex, and then I'm probably starting Claypool over Pittman, but barely. I, I just don't like the Pittman versus Jackson matchup. Um, I, I do like that it's indoors at least, so the elements won't be an issue, but. I think you're going to see a little Claypool redemption arc this week after what happened towards the end of that Minnesota game. Um, I, it, it's a close call uh, between those there. but And you notice I'm, I'm not advocating for Zeke. I mean, it, it's tough. He's got some tough decisions on his hands here, Mike does. so. But, you know, there, there, that's a lot of names to choose from too. Yeah, certainly. And, and with the, the Zeke point, um, I mean, hindsight is obviously 2020, but feels very much so like – a few weeks back when they were rumoring to shut him down to rest that knee, that was probably the correct move for them. Uh, obviously yeah. they didn't do that. And he has been hobbling his way three and a half yards at a time through the, through the following weeks. Uh, right. Now, they can't do that now with Pollard hurt. You know, that's the thing they got. Yeah. They, they got, they got a little bit of bad luck there because Pollard looked like he was going to be ascendant, uh, that he was going to start taking over more carries, had that big touchdown against the saints and got hurt on that play. And, you know, since then, you know, you know, they obviously didn't play last week and Zeke looked terrible. So and I think he'll probably look terrible against the Giants this week, too. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be rough for them. The only thing that I think really uh, salvages it for, for Zeke is if they're able to secure the division and get them some rest. But obviously, 
um, that doesn't have any positive impact on the fantasy outlook for him. Uh, right. Just more so gearing him up for uh, the real world playoffs. The other side of Mike's question uh, sticks in Dallas a little bit. He wants to know if you are liking Dak Prescott or Tua this week. <laughs> I've got him back to back in my rankings right now. I'm right now. I've got Dak over Tua, but it's close. Uh, the thing is, no Tyron Smith protecting his backside again. And we saw earlier this year when Tyron Smith was out, how that that didn't end up so well. Uh, it, it's a close call because Tua's got such a great matchup, and Dak's matchup is okay. It's not bad, but you know, it's close. I mean, it's just I think I'm still going Dak. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I'm probably sticking with Dak here as well. Um, the, the only thing that that gives me more pop, I, f- I feel like this would be sort of a slam dunk, you know, no brainer a few weeks ago. Uh, but I, I do like that Tua's uh, getting another week with with Devontae Parker out here. Uh, it seems like that offense has been able to do a bit more with him on the field. Um, but ultimately, I mean, there's a very short list of teams that are going to compete with. Uh, the the caliber of weapons that Dak has at his as at his total, right? And I, and that I think was the that ultimately, too. yeah, I mean that that cream tends to rise toward to the top, especially against kind of mediocre to below average opponents. Which, sorry, Giants fans, I I think they're firmly in that category. They're they're right now in let's fire everybody mode. Anyhow, Giants fans are at least the ones I know. Uh, they want to yeah. fire Gettleman. They want to fire nope. Judge. They Nobody was excited that that Kitchens took over for for Garrett. I know. Hey, we got rid of Jason Garrett. Yes. Now calling plays, Freddie Kitchens. Oh, what? Ah. And we're gonna, <laughs> with Mike Lennon at the helm, no less. Oh. Yeah, I I feel like they should have they should have just had the fans call plays by way of dial in <laughs> vote or Twitter poll in in real time. Um, at least, at least give them a little bit of fun to go along with. Boy, would that be a disaster, uh, though? Just imagine atrocious season. Oh my god! Yeah, gosh. right. <laughs> yeah. If if every, we, every if we play, it out. throw deep four verts <laughs> <Yeah>. every time, <laughs> it would it would look it would look like the end of a of a game of Madden on every single play. <laughs> yeah. Um. So with that, we will carry on here in our listener questions. Sheldon is chiming in, and he actually has a couple of guys that. Their availability itself is in question. He is in a half-point PPR, and he is deciding between Michael Carter and Daryl Henderson. Um, any any thoughts on uh, either of these players' availabilities or assuming they both go where, where your head lies? I think get Carter is the answer. Carter had a big game against Miami last time, and I think uh, before he got hurt, he was getting bell cow carries. Now, maybe he doesn't get that in his first game back, but – Henderson might not either. Keep in mind, it wasn't just COVID that Henderson's dealing with. He's also dealing with an injury, too. Uh, I, I think he might be a little bit limited this, in his first week back if he does come back. We don't know if that's if he's even coming back yet. So right now, my lean is Carter. This is one you're going to have to take down to the wire. Yeah, yeah. I think like a lot of questions, uh, ultimately the availability of these players is where what is going to determine the way you go. But um, for, for me, the thing about Henderson that I think – brings credence to your point about him being eased back in is just following how this Rams team has conducted themselves and how they've transacted. It seems like they will go to extraordinary lengths to not have to feature Daryl Anderson, right? Um, seemed like he was full systems go. They went out and acquired Michelle. Uh, obviously Sony Michelle was getting a bit of work when Henderson was available. So not exactly a, uh, a full-throated vote of confidence um, from this this Rams front offense. Right, exactly. So with that, we have uh, another long list of players. Uh, we've got uh, someone who was able to acquire or was either benching and had available to them Justin Fields. Out on their wire, they do have available uh, one Ben Roethlisberger, Davis Mills, the aforementioned Trevor Lawrence, Jared Goff, or Zach Wilson. So pretty well picked over wire. Any of those guys would you be considering to pick up and supplant Justin Fields as the starting quarterback? No, I think it's a snap call to play Justin Fields at home against Minnesota. I mean, weather might be a problem, but Fields has got the highest ceiling of this group easily. Um, I'm definitely going with him. Yeah, especially with the the running. Um, I'm, I'm... Struggling to recall where I where I saw it, but uh, someone was uh, uh, touting a stat that Ben Roethlisberger is a QB one over 
I think it was the last five games that he missed that game uh, against Detroit. Um, yeah. So they've they've been playing catch up, and he's been able to get it done a bit more. But hard to trust that uh, that noodle arm, right? Yeah, I mean they they've kind of found a balance in using him there. And but you know, like last week was against Minnesota's awful pass defense, which Fields gets to face this week. Uh, we like that, uh, and it was indoors. Uh, not, it didn't have to deal with the elements there. I think at uh, at home against Tennessee, who's sneakily been a pretty decent defense, I don't think I'm really all that enthused about using Ben this week. So he would be my second choice, but I'm definitely going Fields first. If you don't, if you if you're wary of Fields, Ben would be my pivot, I guess. But I, I'm going Fields. Yeah, I mean to say that Big Ben is the second choice among that list is. Uh, hardly a vote of confidence, um, and it definitely like like Fields right. uh, out of this lot. Both both given the strength of the matchup and his ability to do some stuff with his legs. To uh, right. to round out our listener questions, we'll actually head back to uh, a point that you posed earlier. Uh, Susie B is kind of zooming out for us a little bit. She wants to know what's up with with Travis Kelsey this season. Why has he underwhelmed? Was it just him shaving his beard in the preseason? <laughs> Uh, who knows? Uh, you know, he—he's definitely there's been a slight qualitative difference with him lately, but it's also just the malaise of the whole offense, I think. But I will say there is some reason for hope this week. Uh, he did go seven for one hundred four against the Chargers in week three. So uh, if you're looking at pre and if Derwin James is out, that probably helps him quite a bit too across the middle. Uh, that that's one thing that could work in his favor. Um, but it's just they're adapting to the new NFL or whatever you know. It's always a game of adjustments, right? You know, it's a cat and mouse. And right now, the, the mouse has gotten away from the cat. Or I don't know, I'm not going to stop the analogy. But uh, you know what I'm saying. Uh, it, it, <laughs> there's, it's a game of adjustments, and they have to counter-adjust to the, two, the, the umbrella defense there, the two safeties deep. And right now, they're, they're, they're not always on point. He had a big game against the Raiders in Week 10 and then followed it up with some games that weren't so great. I mean, the Dallas game was okay. I mean, he, he went 5 for 74 there, at least in that one there. Uh, he got two red zone targets against Denver, but otherwise was pretty quiet. You know, it, there's such an emphasis on defense and running the ball. It's really kind of taking things away. And keep in mind last week, too. Last week's a kind of a gigantic write-off. That was a blowout by the second quarter. Uh, so a lot of the urgency in that game was gone. You know, they weren't having to throw the ball as much. They were just – this was a let's end this game sort of game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that – we can't really glean much from uh, from that game, and you know, coming out of the half, they basically started giving all of their second string uh, additional runs. So, right, um, uh, certainly a, a bit of cause for concern with with Kelsey. But like we talked about at the top, I think this offense uh, eventually does get a bit more favorable matchup on the passing game side, and that will, of course, uh, raise the boats of uh, Kelsey and Hill and the like. So. That will round out our listener question. We'll also round out uh, this portion of the Pros with Joe's podcast. So before we close out, Jeff, want to give the floor back to you. Any one, anything that you would uh, you would like to shout out? Uh, you know, if if not, maybe tell the listeners where they can find you out in the world. Yeah, um, appreciate you having me on. Always great to have the conversation with you, and uh, thank you for that. Uh, if you want to check us out, of course, I'm on SiriusXM uh, Monday through Thursdays, uh, 9 to 11 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, you got your central time, so we'll make that 11 to 1. Uh, I will be off a little bit next week, traveling a little bit to see my family. But uh, I, you can also check out the RotoWire podcast up twice a week during football season. My rankings are up at RotoWire. Uh, the value meter I do it rolls out late Tuesday nights. Um, then I'm going to do an update before the game tomorrow on that, so you guys can check that all out. And if you don't already uh, subscribe to RotoWire, you can give us a, a free look at rotowire.com slash free. It's a free 10-day trial. We don't take our credit card or anything. You just sign up with a valid email address. Hopefully you like it and you want to subscribe. Man, I can certainly appreciate that because I have more memberships than I can count where I signed up for a free trial with my credit card and life got in the way and I forgot to cancel. So. Right. Certainly makes it easy to to give it a try, but having having used the tools and the products over there myself, um, uh, the the rotor wire tool set is one that I think if you get a, a week and a half or so of full access, you'll you'll find a ton of value in it. So definitely head that way and check it out. Um, with that, we will wrap things up here on the Pros with Joe's podcast. Uh, like we mentioned every week, uh, we are still 
and always actively fundraising. We're now here in the playoffs, so our eight remaining teams are that much closer to taking home the in-season pot for their respective charities. Anyone that is interested in learning more about what we do, potentially getting involved or even contributing to our fundraiser, you can check us out on Twitter at Pros with Joes. There is a link there pinned to our description uh, that takes you directly to our donor center, or you can head straight to our website. It's proswithjoes.com. If you're there and you are so inclined, give a little, give a lot, whatever you can spare. Um, probably won't miss it, and you'll certainly feel pretty good after doing it. And the Pros with Joes podcast itself is a proud member of the Dr. Roto Media Network. So you can find all of our podcasts posted there at drroto.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Simply search Pros with Joe's podcast or the Dr. Roto Media Network. While you're there, scroll on down, hit the subscribe button, throw some stars away, leave some reviews if you feel so inclined. It really does go a long way in helping spread the word and raise awareness about the work that we are doing. And with that, we will see you all in week 16. Thanks for stopping by the office. Get your fantasy prescription by subscribing to the channel and checking out drrodo.com. And until the next visit, be well and take care.